The ABC's Word Wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Rawley Sussex. It's that time of the day, the ABC's Word Wizard, Rowley Sussex, OAM, Emeritus Professor from the School of Languages and Cultures at the University of Queensland, is here willing and able to talk with you about words, language and linguistics. one three hundred triple two six twelve. that's a number you can call if you have a question for Rowley, one three hundred triple two six twelve. Rolly, good afternoon. Great to have you as ever. Uh, we've heard already from one of the bright young minds at uh, Junction Park State School. Lily of Year 6 had a question and I'm dying to know the answer. This is what she's asking. My name is Lily and I'm in Year 6. My question is, why does the letter I have to be a capital when it's by itself, but not the letter A? Why, Rolly? Why? Well, the letter A is just one of the other letters of the alphabet, and uh, so we just use A with other words. But I is special, because it's the way we refer to the person that you are when you're talking. And the history of this one actually goes back to the start of printing in Europe, which is really quite interesting, because in about 1440, right, now this is a long time ago, a man called Gutenberg set up the first printing press in Europe and they were able to print books for the first time. And in 1476, a man called Caxton set up a press in England. And when he did so, they were able to print books in English and all of a sudden, instead of having books which had to be copied by hand, in, no, usually monks did this and it took a long, long time, it was very expensive, you could make multiple copies, copies of books and everybody could get hold of them and read them. Now, when they started printing, some of the letters weren't very clear. And if you think about it, the thin letters are L, which is a little bit taller than I, and J, which at least has got a tail to it, and I itself. And uh, well, the way they printed, uh, it was pretty close together. It was very black. It was hard to read. And after a while, they started thinking maybe they ought to make I a bit bigger to make it more visible. Now, in German... And this is still true in German. You write all nouns with capital letters. And it doesn't matter whether they're someone's name or the name of a country. The word book, the word school, the word man, the word ball or whatever, they're all written with a capital. And in English at the time, they copied the Germans because the Germans had the first press and they thought this was a useful sort of thing to do. And that persisted until about 1800 or so. Meanwhile, the letter I had been promoted from a rather small I, and by the way, it used to be ik, I see for I, in Old English even earlier, and they'd made it into a capital, and so it was a bit bigger. And that way, people could easily see I in a stream of text, and they weren't going to get confused. So why only I? Well, basically because it was a skinny letter, and it wasn't very easily <laughs> visible. Uh. But in other languages, now in German, the word for you, a polite word for you, is Z, spelled S-I-E, and that is always written with a capital. And that distinguishes it from S-I-E-Z from meaning she, which is always without a capital, except at the start of a sentence. And if you think about it in English, sometimes when we read uh, books about religion and people refer to God, God has a capital, and then they say God in his wisdom they tend to use a capital H as well. 
So, it is possible to use capitals for pronouns in different, different persons in different languages, but in English, and it's in only in English, the I has become a kind of convention, we always write it with a capital, and it's a way originally of making sure that people saw there was an I and it didn't got, get mixed up with the rest of the text that you were reading. On ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland, 20 minutes past two. My name is Kat Fenny. Professor Rolly Sussex is with you. Thank you, Lily, for your question. Uh, more questions to come, Rolly, from Junction Park State School. Yeah, uh, excellent. Welcoming your questions too on one three hundred triple two six twelve. That's one three hundred triple two six twelve. I might add that in the cricket, Australia on one eighty three, leading England by thirty six runs with eight wickets remaining. Uh, Rolly, Philippe has messaged. Mm-hmm. And he wants to know why the English language didn't incorporate the N like near climactic change. Uh, there's climactic change going on now or, or the neo, the N with the apostrophes on the top. I guess the question is, why don't we have apostrophes on the top of our Ns in words like that? Uh, you mean the N with a little squiggle on top? I believe that's what Philippe uh, is, uh, is asking. Okay. About. Right. Now, this, this letter is used in Spanish. And uh, its proper name for the little squiggle bit is a tilde, T-I-L-D-E. And that's for the ny sound. Now, in English, can we make the ny sound? Of course we can. New, for example, N-E-W. And so there's no problem about can we pronounce it. But all of the words that we've got in English, with a few borrow, with the exception of a few borrowings, when you say the ny sound, it's actually part of the, the way you pronounce it, like N-U or N-E-W and so on. Now, the ny sound is spelt G-N in French, mignon, and it's G-N in Italian, gnocchi. But in Spanish, they actually developed this special letter with the little tilde on top. And uh, it's one of the things which we didn't borrow in English because most of English spelling came to us from French and Latin and not up through Spanish. So N with the little tilde is Ñ, and it, we see it a lot with El Niño, which means the boy, and also the name for that uh, weather system when we have wet, and La Niña, which means the girl, and that's when, it, when we have a weather system which is dry. Well, speaking of weather systems, Rolly, it's probably about time to uh, reissue the severe thunderstorm warning that is in place. This is a warning from the Bureau of Meteorology. In fact, it's one of two warnings that are currently active. The first one concerns southeast Queensland, and it's a warning for damaging winds, large hailstones and heavy rainfall for people in parts of the Southern Downs, Toowoomba and Lockyer Valley Council areas. The Bureau of Meteorology warns that severe thunderstorms were detected on the weather radar near John Darren, uh, the area west of Milmerin and the area north of Inglewood, these thunderstorms are moving towards the east to southeast. They are forecast to affect Milmerin, Oki, and the area west of Toowoomba by 2.40 this afternoon, and the area south of Toowoomba, the area southwest of Toowoomba, and Kambuya by 10 past 3. Just remember, for emergency assistance, contact the SES on 132500. And there is a separate severe thunderstorm warning for damaging winds, large hailstones and heavy rainfall for people in parts of the Wide Bay and Burnett, Darling Downs and Granite Belt and southeast coast forecast districts. 
These severe thunderstorms are likely to produce damaging winds, large hailstones and heavy rainfall that may lead to flash flooding in the warning area over the next several hours. Locations to be affected include Toowoomba, Dolby, Gatton, Oakey, Laidley and Tara. 25 past two. My name is Kat Feeney. Professor Rolly Sussex is with you having a word in your ear. If you've got a question for Rolly, the phone number is one 612 Rolly, messages coming through as well. Peter mm-hmm. at West End wants to know um, whether all words relating to philosophy or philosophical belief systems come from Greek. Are there any non-Greek philosophical words? Thanks, Peter. Oh, nice one. Yes, uh, there are some, but the original ones all come from Greek, including the words for mathematics like trigonometry and algebra and so on, and the words for logic, they're all Greek. Um, But some more recent philosophical movements like existentialism and things like surrealism and so on uh, arrived mainly from French, actually. So, by by and large, I mean, the Greeks did an astonishing job that the top of the Greek cultural flowering was about the 4th century, 5th century BC. They set the words and the tone for more than 2,000 years. And that is an astonishing uh, achievement from any one civilization, including, by the way, meteorology. You were talking about meteorology a moment ago. Mm. I wonder if the folks know where meteorology comes from. Oh, let's have it. I'm sure you know. Let's have it. I'd it love comes to know. From, <laughs> right. Oh, it comes from meteor. But, of course, a meteor is something that flashes through the sky and maybe burns up in our atmosphere. The Greek word meteoros meant lofty or high. And so meteorology is stuff that goes on high up in the atmosphere, like winds and clouds and rain and thunder and lightning and so on. So meteorology is actually the science of things that happen high in the sky. And that's where we get it from. (laughs) Tremendous. Uh, Returning to Junction Park State School now, Rolly, Mm -hmm. and a question from Riona. My name is Riona and I'm in year five. My question is, from which language did most of the English words originate? Lovely question. All right, here we go. English grew up from, or rather split off from an earlier language called Germanic And that was a language spoken in Europe and which, as it split up into different dialects and then languages, became German and Dutch and Swedish, say, and also English. And so there's one block of words which continued right through from that parent language and they tend to be concrete words, things like mother and brother and son, both S-O-N and S-U-N, and dog and cow and sky and cloud and rain, Uh, And these are the words which uh, we've got from our parent language, Germanic. But in 1066, the French crossed the Channel and beat the English in a battle. And so they brought the French language. And about 29% of modern English words come from French. Before that, we'd had St. Augustine, who was uh, turning the English into Christians. And so we got a lot of Latin words, which again, continued over the next centuries. And we got some from Greek, about 6%, and from other languages. So if you want to know which languages gave us, sorry, what words French gave us, things like a Grand Prix, uh, you know, the the car race, uh, a menu when you go to a restaurant, or lots of Lots of words relating to food, including omelette and soup and even restaurant. 
and words relating to culture like chic and ballet and clarinet and words relating to things like cars, chauffeur, for example. And so French gave us lots of words, uh, a lot of which were quite, if you like, upmarket words. It's a very odd thing that the, the farmyard animals, like cow and dog and bull and pig, are called all Germanic names, but the names for the meat that we get from them, like pork and beef and venison and so on, are all from French. Oh, you're making me hungry now, Rolly. All right, I haven't finished. Mm. Latin words are very often cultural words like literature and momentum and similar. And peninsula, peninsula is a lovely word, comes from two Latin words, pine and insula, meaning almost an island. So a peninsula is something which is joined to the mainland by a little strip of land. It's almost an island. And then the Greeks gave us about 6% of our words, and they are usually uh, technical and specialist ones. If you go to the orthodontist to have your teeth straightened, the dont bit is a Greek word, unlike the dentist, which is a Latin word. And Arctic and Antarctic, that comes from the Greek word arctos, which means a bear or polar bear. And words like climate and meteor, which I gave you a moment ago, and theatre and drama and your Achilles tendon and music and typhoon, which is the Greek word for a whirlwind, or things that you learn about in school like hypotenuse. So English has gone lots of places to pick up its vocabulary and they tell us a lot about which things were important for the English speakers because they went off and borrowed the words from the other languages that they needed to talk about certain things. Hmm. It's just, it tells you so much, doesn't it, about uh, oh, the yeah. sort of evolution of human culture and uh, and so forth. Rolly, um, we've got another question from Nick on yes. the text line. Where does to coin a term come from? I heard it this morning when they were talking about a double donut day. Uh, thank ah, you yes. very much, Nick. Rolly. Okay. To coin a term... Um there's a, there are other words like to mint something, meaning to establish it, a new, a new version of it. And, of course, mint is mint coins and so on, which are the first series of good coins that come out from the royal mint, which makes coins and things. So to coin a term, to mint a term, means you kind of create it fresh from nothing and it then starts to exist. So that's where that one comes from. Excellent. Uh, returning to the... Junction Park State School mm-hmm. questioners this afternoon uh, with Professor Rolly Sussex. Interrogators. At, at half past two. Uh, nobody expects the Inquisition, Rolly. Uh, this is a question for you from... Uh, oh, no, hang on. Is it Jasper? Here we go. This is the question for you. My name is Jasper and I am in year five. My question is, why do some words have a silent P at the beginning? For example, pterodactyl, pneumatic and pneumonia. Lovely, Jasper, thank you. Okay, and the answer is that we borrowed them from Greek. And in Greek, they were perfectly able to say pter and pne and so on, and they did, as in pneumonia, it was pneumonia in Greek. But when we borrowed them into English, when we have those sounds at the start of the word, we thought it a bit hard, and after a while people just didn't pronounce the first sound at all. The French and the Germans and the Italians and the Spaniards and other people who've borrowed this word, these words pronounce all of them. But for in, in English we're either a bit lazy or a bit 
not very careful. And so the word, these words ended up without their first consonant. Now, the odd thing is that we can certainly pronounce PT. Look at the word captain, all right? PT in the middle of captain, or GN, as in gnome, your garden gnome. We've got indignity or significant. And we can even have PS, at, like psychology, at the end of a word, caps or tops. And so there's nothing actually about the sounds themselves that is difficult for us. It's just where they are in the word. And so when they're at the beginning of the word, what we did was we borrowed the Greek word and we borrowed the spelling. And then we found that there isn't an English word which has those sounds at the start. So we just gave up the first sound and made it into, shall we say, psychology. We've got thousands of words in English starting with S, so that was familiar. And it's actually a nuisance because when you're learning to spell, you've got a whole lot of words from Greek and you've got to remember that the spelling actually isn't like the pronunciation at all. Um, pterodactyl, by the way, means feather finger. And that's the way the Greeks mm -hmm. used to make up words. Um, pteron is a feather and a door. Dactyl is, is the word for a finger. And so, you know, we borrow the word, we get the benefit of someone else has invented the word. But I'm afraid we've got a different pronunciation. We have the benefit of your brilliant mind every Thursday afternoon here on ABC Brisbane and Queensland. Professor Rolly Sussex having a word in your ear. My name is Kat. It's 25 minutes to three. Rolly, this will be um, our last opportunity to enjoy each other's company before uh, the end of the year. Afternoons continuing next week, obviously, uh, but I will not be with you. I'll be on the breakfast program. So I wanted to say oh. thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. For everything this year. Um, we look forward to hearing from you next week and next year. Rolly, it's now time, though, for your second last word of the day for the year. My second last word of the day. All right, okay. Um, and look, before we finish, look, thank you, Kat, for a fantastic year. We've dove, done a lot of really serious work about language, but in a way which I hope has been fun and interesting and sometimes uplifting for everybody. I think language is a great puzzle, and so I want to share my fascination with it with all the listeners. So thanks for being there, and I look forward to talking to you again in January. Here comes the second last last word. What is written on a dentist's grave? Oh, um, answer. Yeah, what? This man is filling his last cavity. <laughs> I'll pay that. Rolly, pleasure and privilege again. Thank you so Thanks, much. Kat. Happy Christmas. On your radio and online, at home or on the road. This is ABC Radio.